another sports next door podcast my name is owen today is memorial day monday may 30th and i'm joined as i always am by my neighbor max how's it going my friend a little confused do you know what memorial day actually is about or for drinking uh i mean i'm not sure (laughs) what the actual origins of it is but uh that's yeah yeah, that's always a holiday behind Exactly, exactly. Everyone needs a day off in May. It's really a, a signal of the start of summer, right? Yeah, that's for me, I guess it signals that 25 is the new 15. Um, like fully acclimatized, don't know about you. Not happy about it, but accepting it. Yeah, getting our first uh, heat warning today uh, up, in the, up in the 30s here in London. And um, it's supposed to be even hotter tomorrow. And the big thing that, that they were warning about is that temperatures in the low twenties that night. So, um, didn't have AC last summer, but if we're gonna have nights like this, then I might be convinced it is going to be quite warm. Not looking forward to that. I think 60% of the decision to sign the place I'm living at now is for the next three months that I got to go through with AC as someone who never had it during their childhood. Yeah. Yeah. We both felt that pain. So mm-hmm. we know how to battle through, right? At least we don't live in a Florida where it's hot all year round, but uh, yeah, you can't awful. complain. I know. I know exactly. You can't complain about the heat when all you do is beg for it the other nine months of the year. So you got to take that with the, with the, greatness that is summer and i'm pumped to get things going it's it's going to mean some less pods some less sports action but um everything comes with good balance and so on that note we are getting we're getting to the near end here of uh hockey and basketball playoffs and i know baseball is in full swing but really only 25% of us really dial into baseball at this point. So uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. And then of course the French open in full swing, um, maybe a couple updates from there, but uh, Max, we have our NBA finals set tickets from the West coast and the East to uh, pretty monumental franchises at this point in, uh, in our modern era of basketball and, and one franchise with a greater historical uh, achievement and accolades and another with the most recent dynastic run and looking forward to seeing the Golden State Warriors take on the Boston Celtics as purely a basketball fan, because otherwise I would hate this matchup. Do not have any love really for either of these teams, uh, probably due to the success that they have had. Um, but, but really some awesome talent and some great system basketball that'll be on display. Uh, and that's, what's going to keep me in, engaged at this point. So late into May. Yeah, that's it. I, I think annoyingly two teams that have gone through the rebuilding process incredibly successfully, um, getting the players they needed to get in the, with the picks, Tatum and Brown on one side, Curry, Thompson, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, on the other side, all the right pieces. Uh, we talked a lot about this Warriors team last pod. I don't 
I actually didn't catch game seven, regrettably, and it turns out I would have had time to <laughs> rewatch it or catch up on it this mm-hmm. evening, but I didn't think I would. Uh, so yeah, I don't know if you want to talk a bit the Miami Celtics before we get into this preview. Yeah, game seven kind of ended the way that I saw it from the beginning of this series where incredibly hard fought. Uh, I was surprised Miami even took game six. But in the end, just that that talent won out for the Celtics. They were leading by as much as 15 points in this game, had the lead almost the entire game. Um, and Miami really pulling out all of the stops, all of the physicality, all of the maximum offensive output they could just squeeze out of a Max Struess, out of a Kyle Lowry, out of a Jimmy Butler. Uh, But in the end, the Celtics just had more left in the tank somehow after coming out of their war with the Milwaukee Bucks. But Jason Tatum with a really solid performance, Jalen Brown as well. And then they get that extra contribution from some of those guys, Marcus smart, a nine point run by himself to start the third quarter was massive to set the tempo after Boston dominated the first half and Miami had a, a 10 0 run to, or a nine Oh run to finish out the last minute and a half of the first half pulled within six. Somehow they were right in it when they had been outclassed and, and Boston was able to just keep them at bay. And it, it came down to, a shot even that most Miami th- fans you'll take a wide open Jimmy Butler three in transition. He hit one at the end of the first half uh, to give him 24 through the first half. And uh, he, he gave it everything he had just had no legs there at the end front rims it. Uh, you, you, you ask for that look most times from your best player to, to send you to the NBA finals and unable to come through. And on the other end, Boston, yeah, it just, these both, all three of these teams now that we'll talk about this evening, Miami, Boston, and and Golden State, um, kind of the new age of team building and that philosophy where you do have a bunch of guys who can contribute. And the mercenary years are over where Kevin Durant went to the Warriors and LeBron went to the Cavs and uh, then LeBron went to the Lakers. And I think Toronto LeBron grabbed, is going somewhere else next year. <laughs> and Toronto grabbed Kawhi Leonard, right? And and we've moved into this era where the Phoenix Suns are playing against the Milwaukee Bucks. And although Chris Paul's maybe a mercenary, it feels a little bit more continuity based when you add him on a four-year deal and you know he's going to be there through his contract uh and then now the and then the milwaukee bucks team with Giannis was a core that they kept together kept retooling added drew holiday and then made their run and now uh this year boston a team that drafted jason tatum jalen brown uh there were rumblings about And even if it never came from the franchise itself, came from its fans that these two guys couldn't play together and they stuck to it and they stuck with Marcus Smart when he was on the trade block, it felt like for two years there. Uh, They brought back in Al Horford after he had his minor stint with the 76ers. Uh, They (laughs) brought back Daniel Tice. Uh, They brought in some draft picks that they missed on. They're lucky they hit on Brown and Tatum because they missed on a plenty in between, and then they got something in Pritchard. Uh, 
they made the uh, kind of orbit move of grabbing Derek White to be their 7.5 eighth guy. And that was really, really important for them. He had a solid game tonight uh, when he has been inconsistent. Uh, and, and they just, they stuck to the game plan, the blueprint of building out this team with a ton of wing depth, being able to defend at all five positions, uh, even without Rob Williams being not even 80% of himself. And, and you rely on these two way guys that are in the top 30 and in Tatum's case, possibly the top five in the league. And, and you just have all of these other role guys who can play on both sides of the floor and knock down a three play defense one through four positions on the court. Uh, and, and they have finally broken through after making the Eastern conference finals a couple of times as, as the, as the younger team that they were now they're really in that full fledged contender mode. Yeah. I don't have a lot to say on them, but you kind of touched on my one thought, just that the teams now where they are, the team is at now where we projected them to be at two years ago. I, I remember one of our first pods we ever did, we were doing our picks for the regular season coming off the bubble playoffs. I think, yeah. And I think we both had the Celtics uh, finishing first or going to the finals, one of the two. And um, this, there were some bumps along the road on the way, but credit for sticking with it believing in what you had and figuring out how to make it work because i guess moving on to the preview my question to you is is it an advantage for the celtics having been through two absolute murder fest seven games of physical playoff basketball in that that's they come out stronger on the other side or do they just come out bruised beaten and tired and that's going to be to the warriors advantage I think it's an incredibly valuable experience that they have all of these scars because it puts them in that realm with the Warriors, right? Now, Steph, Clay, Draymond, they have the wars. They have the scars. Uh, Iguodala does as well. You could add to that equation, but really beyond, and Looney as well, you could say, even though he's so young, but beyond that, a lot of this Warriors team doesn't have the scars. Uh, and, and, obviously really successful season for them and made it to the finals. But if we're talking playoff experience, most of the Celtics team now has more than the majority of the Warriors team and their leadership, of course, has the, the extreme level of experience, but I think it's immensely valuable for Boston, given that most of the games of this finals are separated by two days rather than one day off as they were for the conference finals. So in a playoff scenario, I mean, it's still not a ton of time to heal in the grand scheme, but that extra day is going to feel like heaven for all of these guys. And um, they were able to bounce back after a game one loss to Miami on one day of rest. I think with the extra rest that they're now afforded, uh, they'll, they'll feel like new players almost coming into this series. So I don't think they'll be much more battered and bruised than this Warriors team is. And they have had tremendous success against the Warriors, even throughout the, the uh, five finals in a row that Golden State made. Boston was always a team that handled them well. So I think they're in a great spot here um, going up against Golden State, who is another marvel in team building. And we talked about it on the last podcast, but having those two down years with some injuries, being able to retool and bring in fresh new talent and, and they're back in the, in the finals again. And just a testament to the greatness and um, the 
combination or the uh, dedication to one view from the top down in this organization and sticking to it and, and following leadership and, and sticking with their guys and everyone buying into that same objective. And that's what both sides have done. And now we'll see who's, uh, whose vision wins out in this finals because you've got a team that plays a ton of movement-oriented basketball against a team that loves to switch on defense. And so we'll have some success covering those actions uh, and a lot of wing depth that typically is, is, I mean, it gives anyone problems, but Steph Curry, that is typically the, the type of matchup that he's always had his bottom end of the parabola performance against his, his 30 to 50 percentile performances, right? Slightly subpar uh, going up against the Marcus Smart going up against potentially Derek White. And then of course, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum switching out on the perimeter is going to give him some difficulties. And uh, that is, is going to be something that not only gives Steph difficulties, but is going to give Jordan Poole incredible difficulties because we've seen him have awesome moments early in this playoffs. But as things have started to tighten up, uh, he has regressed a little bit, deservedly so. It's his first deep playoff run as a young player. Uh, but this Boston defense, I think, is going to give him a really, really difficult time. And uh, it's going to get down to, kind of like it was in the Dallas series, it's going to get down to, will Clay be the guy that we saw in, in Game 5? Will uh, Draymond be able to contribute when he's being forced to shoot and there's no one near him? Will uh, Andrew Wiggins play at the level that he was able to show in the, in the conference finals. Cause that is a real X factor for the Warriors is he has the ability to play much higher than the fourth option, but he is the fourth option. And so he'll get tasked with occasionally having to attack a Peyton Pritchard, a Marcus smart, having to attack uh, a Rob Williams in those situations. And will he be able to come through um, really fascinating to see how this Warriors team is going to adjust to the best defense that they'll have faced so far. Yeah, that's the first really interesting matchup. And then on the for me, on the other end, uh, I think about Wiggins and Green primarily as Brown and Tatum's defenders. And what like what we've seen is when you can take one of those two guys out of the game, hold them, and I mean take them out of the game, like hold them sub 15 points the Celtics really struggle to make up for it. It doesn't matter if the other guy drops 40. It doesn't matter if Pritchard, if um, Horford, if one of the Williams is having an amazing night. Without both of those two functioning at the core, uh, the offense just doesn't do enough. There's more mistakes happen in transition, running their sets, and that's where there's something to take advantage of. Because I think back and forth, half-court, stable basketball, the Celtics team has what it takes to beat the Warriors. Um, but it's going to be up to that savviness to create some chaos, poke some holes for the Celtics, and that's where Golden State can really take advantage. But as much as I hate to do it, I'm going with the Celtics on this one. Interesting. I, uh, Yeah, I'm curious to see that Celtics offense as well, because like you said, Andrew Wiggins is most likely going to take the Tatum matchup or the Brown matchup, depending. And I actually think we'll see a lot more of an Otto Porter or an Iguodala if they're healthy, because apparently they may be healthy in time. So they'll get some of those minutes, 
But <clears throat> in the end, it's going to come down to a clay having to stay in front of these guys, maybe a pool, uh, a loony in those switch scenarios. Uh, and, and Doncic tortured this Warriors team in a lot of those switches. And Boston's going to try and do similar things to Looney and similar things to Steph Curry. And when they were running that pick and roll, uh, Dallas was. Steph was doing a great job hedging and the team was recovering. But Boston, I think, is just even better at driving and kicking out of a situation where one of their two players is being double teamed. And so I, I, I think they're going to have some success in, in that half-court setting if their role guys can get going. And the Warriors don't necessarily have the same personnel to be able to, to pressure the ball like Miami did with a Jimmy Butler, with a Kyle Lowry, with an Oladipo uh, being up in the grill of both of these guys. And I, I, ew, this is such a tough series. I, I think, though, I'm going to go with Golden State because in the end, uh, those three guys, you just can't ever bet against them when they're all healthy. Because when they are, they win championships and they've done it time and time again. And they just play so differently from everyone else in the league. How are you going to hold them down when they've had a week of rest to all get healthy and study the tape and, and be ready to go in this series? And, and they just, everything comes up wins for this franchise. And it's so hard to pick against them. So I'm not going to. There you go. All right. Um, Almost done the NBA playoffs, but we're really only halfway through the NHL playoffs with the second round finally wrapping up tonight with the Canes Rangers game seven in progress on the winner of that will go on to face the Tampa Bay Lightning who have been resting for a full week now as it was seven days ago they finished off the Panthers. On the other side of the Western Conference Finals matchup locked in between the Edmonton Oilers and the Colorado Avalanche. Um, if there had to be a consolation prize for that Calgary-Edmonton series ending too early, this firecracker-loaded matchup is a pretty good one. Uh, how do you like McKinnon and McCarr against McDavid and Dreisaitl with, it in the most respectable possible way, two goalies who are average at best? It doesn't get any better than this when we're talking pace of play and offense and what guys can do in the crevices of the game, right? We have a fan, phenomenal player in Austin Matthews that we get to witness this kind of stuff. And we're going to get to see two of the best at his level do it as well. Like you could make the argument that both of these guys are the, the two best players in the game right now. Um, McKinnon's goal that he scored in game five that should have been their moment to move on ends up not turning out but they do take game six and then Connor McDavid is a highlight role every night and these two guys get to go up against one another and they're just going to be freewheeling flying around it's going to be tough to contain the both of them I'm actually really really excited I think Kale McCarr is going to get a lot of the Connor McDavid matchup uh, he does just log minutes for this Colorado team. And if there's anyone who, in the league who has the skating to be able to keep up with Connor, it'd be Kale McCarr. Um, he's just so smooth back there. And, uh, and, and that's just what, what you need to have is you can have these bigger guys. That's going to maybe physically punish McDavid. But as soon as he has just a glimpse of space, he's going to make them pay because of how 
quick and precise he is every time he has the puck. And I think six of the players or five of the players in this uh, postseason right now, both these teams are, are in the top 20 of uh, per game playoff scoring in history right now. Uh, they are both lighting it up and I expect to see lots more offense. I think that actually may favor the Oilers because if you drive up, I think Colorado is the better team, but if you drive up the variance and you have more uh, chances and more score effects, then that's got to favor the underdog because you never know if a couple bounces go your way. And Mike Smith believes he's the best goalie in this series. Maybe he can play like it. Um, I'm going to take Colorado, however, because I just believe they are the better team and that they'll win out. Uh, but I'm just, I'm ready to sit down with the popcorn and, and take it in. Yeah, that's it. Uh, I, I think that high variance is exactly what worked out for the Oilers in this, in the past series against mm -hmm. the Flames. And it, just when you make it mano a mano, like you score, I score more. That's where McDavid and Dreisaitl are going to thrive best. I've been making a conscious effort to mention Dreisaitl every time I say McDavid because they actually have the same number of points right now um, tied for being on pace to challenge one of Gretzky's untouchable records this playoff season. If this game goes seven and they continue at the pace they're on, that starts to look a lot more likely. So whatever, there's something for everyone in this series, as long as you're not a fan of goaltending. And uh, yeah, that's what we're here for. We'll be absolutely gobsmacked if we just get a couple of brick wall performances from Kemper and Smith. That's <laughs> at, at this rate, that's what we're in for. Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> like a double overtime, one nothing type scoreboards. Just as long as we don't have the officiating put its hand in the pot here, because we're already getting some of that in game seven tonight between the Rangers and the Hurricanes. Four penalty, five, five, four, five penalties called in the first period. Um, all of them infractions, but some some dumb ones, specifically Ryan Reeves, uh, and then the uh, too many men penalty for Carolina. But it's been a nightmare start for the Hurricanes where they have not been able to convert on their power plays. Their special teams unit, I think, is now six for 23 in the playoffs. Um, so not ideal. And and on the other side, New York, two power play chances, two goals. And you got to be really happy with the way Adam Fox is playing tonight. And But you want your big-time players to step up in big-time moments. So we'll see how that game seven finishes up. Unfortunately for both of these teams, they will be heavily – underdogs uh going into that tampa series now with a full week of rest for that team yeah like they needed another advantage this playoff run but okay <laughs> why not all right that does it for talking hockey here we are in to the french open where our lovely Leila fernandez will be going tomorrow uh 6 a.m our time here against the italian and uh, Max, I'm sure you've got a couple other updates from this tournament, but specifically Layla is the last Canadian left in the event after Felix going out to Nadal, unfortunately. And uh, yeah, some pump for some great matches here just around the corner. Yeah, that's a nice start to lead in on both the great matches and the Felix loss to Nadal, which really nothing to be ashamed about. And if you can take Rafa to five sets on his home court, that's, you can hold your head up high walking out of the stadium. 
And as I mentioned, I can't even be that mad about the result because it sets up another Djokovic Nadal matchup. Um, I think I just saw a headline. Yeah, so this will be Djokovic's 59th match with Nadal. I don't know how many of them have been played at Grand Slam level events. Um, I'd guess 80% of the Grand Slams the two have played in over the past 15 years, because that's just how much they win until they run into each other. Um, So yeah, that doesn't really need any introduction explanation. Nadal been flying through this tournament until he ran into Felix, the first real road bump. Uh, Djokovic continued his straight sets victory over Schwartzman. I think he took the first one 6-1, and then it was 6-3-6-3. I am not going to be a good worker tomorrow, or I'm going to need to find a way to watch this match because this is as good as it gets in tennis. not far behind that level of play, though, has been Carlos Alcaraz this year. Another name I'm sure everyone might be getting close to sick of hearing about in the same draw. So for the rights to face the winner of this Djokovic-Nadal matchup, Alcaraz will compete with Alex Zverev, who we beat in Monte Carlo at the 1000s event. So they'll be running that one back. Um, just those we're at a point in the French now where there, it doesn't matter who wins and who loses because it's awesome matchups all the way. Uh, so competing for that semifinals, um, there's literally just no way you can draw that up that I don't like, but um, Alcaraz Djokovic would be very, very fun. On the bottom half, a little more upset heavy. The first one, big one, coming out of the hands of Holger Rune, who continues his run that he started knocking off our Canadian Denis Shapovalov in the first. Uh, he takes out Stefano Tsitsipas in four sets, only dropping one. Uh, he will face Casper Rudd, who is putting in a career best on the Grand Slam or at a Grand Slam. Uh, long overdue with his success typically coming on clay. He's just been waiting for that breakthrough at the French, and this seems to be the year he's putting it together. Um, So the guy who took a few years to break out and reach this level versus the guy who's wasted no time competing for the right in that semifinals to face either Andre Rublev or the winner of the biggest upset of this tournament so far, Marin Silic, who just soared through Daniel Medvedevo. I don't know if you heard anything about this, but straight sets, 6-2, 6-3, simply stunned the player who reached, who was the first to hit that number one seed outside of the big three in the last 15 years. However, briefly, um, a really disappointing season so far for Medvedev. And after that finals run in Australia, I know Clay not his best surface, uh, making as far as he did, nothing to look back too frustrated on, uh, but just looking at everyone else who's managed to hang in the competition, a little disappointing for him. So Silich will face Rublev, who um, beat Sinner, due to a retirement from injury and that is our final eight yeah eight Djokovic, Nadal, Zverev, Alcaraz, 
Rudd, Rune, Rublev, Silich. So six of so those top 10 guys and a couple of upsets. Um, kind of the perfect mix-up for, for mix-up chemistry for a final eight. Known best quantities and a little sprinkle of surprise in there. So, oh man, I just can't stop thinking about the Djokovic-Nadal matchup. Why do I have to be working tomorrow? <laughs> it is going to be a special match. And uh, looking forward to trying to keep on top of it while we are both at work tomorrow. Um, Got to stick to my guns. And I think Djokovic is going to bow out here because I have picked him not to win a Grand Slam this year. Um, the, the hot take is, is feeling even hotter right now in my seat with the way he's been playing recently. But uh, we'll be following along for sure. I think your bet was he wouldn't be competing in Grand Slams because once he's competing, it's just over. But uh, yeah, if anyone's going to stop him, it's Rafa until it's Alcaraz. But we'll see. Hindsight will be 2020 for us there. And his gauntlet, he'll have to, yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, looking forward to that tomorrow. Looking forward to the sports for the rest of the week. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening here on this Monday evening. Enjoy the rest of Game 7 between the Hurricanes and the Rangers. Uh, I enjoyed myself the Obi-Wan Kenobi first two episodes of that series. Uh, excellent, excellent stuff. Lots of nostalgia. Lots of great lines. Um, this one's a fun one. So tune in if, if you haven't yet. And uh, yeah, hopefully the start of another awesome week here in the beginning of summer working on a thesis for philosophy of music it goes something like everyone's a tool fan they just don't know it yet <laughs> uh, feel free to do some research and prove me right on that uh, literally anything but the non-stop playing the opiate squared re-release that they put out from their song from like 93 i think it's so good oh <laughs> highly recommend checking it out Sports Next Door, signing out.